0: Welcome to the show Rick. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you guys.
1: As you know I've told you I'm really excited with me uh, with me and Josh today and uh, just because uh, I over the last probably nine years I think eight or nine years that I've known you I've learned in a tremendous amount from you so I'm really looking forward to kind of talk to you about being a father and your experiences um, and and I just can't express how happy I am that this moment has finally come. So I, I think we scheduled like two weeks ago. So it's been like it's Rick today. So I'm I'm really excited. Tell us about your family.
0: Well, I will, and let me say first of all, thank you for the invitation to be on here. I take this is this has become since we had that first conversation a really renewing from my own heart because you get to thinking about these things. So thank you for the opportunity to visit with you guys. But to tell you about my family, my wife and I have been married 46 and a half years. I know I don't look that old, but I actually am. So yep. uh, we grew up in the same church together, not each other since we were two and three. Oh, and uh, steady, that's what you did back then uh, at age 14. So got married in uh, 1974. And she is the love of my life and my best friend and my partner and um, an anchor in a thousand ways that I couldn't even begin to describe. We have two sons, Aaron and his wife, Kara, and their four children, Luke, Lily, London, and Levi, uh, live in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And Luke, uh, excuse me, Aaron is a worship pastor, He's associate pastor for a church in Tennessee. It's got two campuses and so his primary responsibility is worship music, but he's also a baseball coach and a softball coach and a football coach and <laughs> whatever the sport it happens to be with four kids, he's the coach. And he's doing a great job. He's been at the church there about 16 years. Our younger son, David, when I say older and younger, by the way, and we just have sons, no daughters, I'm learning about my granddaughters. So that's a whole new deal. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's fun, but it's something else. Uh, Anyway, so we have sons, but <clears throat> the boys, um, I still call them the boys. Aaron is 43 and David is 39. So we still call them the boys because that's who they'll always be. But David and his wife, Stephanie, live in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just new south of Nashville. And David has his own company, Creative Leverage Group. And uh, they started, he's been in that industry, uh, which is branding and Uh, monetizing, uh, for example, a speaker or an author, their assets. And it's a wonderful work and he's doing a great job. And Stephanie's got her own business. So we just got back from a uh, week and a half of spending time with them in Tennessee. And it was sure good to see them face-to-face instead of just Zoom. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, something crazy happened about three, two and a half years ago. I I was listening to a podcast um, from an author that literally kind of changed the direction of my life with andy andrews and i was listening to his podcast and i heard the name loy and i was like, what the heck and i'm pretty sure that was your son david loy that was doing something with the podcast podcast with andy
0: yeah david was uh, actually ended up being the chief operating officer for andy's company for about eight years wow okay whole experience of understanding the word of the world of writing and podcasts and publishing and all of those, all the things that go along with it that served as the foundation for what he's doing right now. And so Andy holds a dear place in all of our hearts. Oh, mine too. I'm, um, if, if you're
1: listening and you haven't read any books by Andy Andrews, you, um, you can first go to YouTube and just search Andy Andrews and and pick up one of his really interesting presentations. And, um, they're, they're very entertaining. They're I, I could go on for a long time. So you, you owe it to yourself to kind of dive into that world. Um, like I said, it had a, a very pivotal part of changing my life um, where I learned to start becoming a bit more of a noticer and seeing life outside of myself. So that's really exciting. And Aaron, I have had the opportunity to listen to him sing, not, um, not worship music, but regular music, and he's very talented. And, I'm, and I think I've seen something online where his, he's singing with his family. Was that him? was doing
0: well they uh they all sing they love it and so all six of them do some things together both at church and then he'll just pull them together teach them a song and they'll pop it up on facebook and i don't know about anybody else but i grew i grew out on it you know because it's my kids yeah right
1: yeah yeah that's it could be it could be hip-hop and you'd probably love it right (laughs) So I think from the outside looking in and from the what I've seen of your your sons you've raised two very successful adults you know you've kind of done what we say is the commission of um, raising future successful adults when we're, when we're raised where we actually have kids that's really the end goal, right so how did your own upbringing let's let's kind of rewind way back and uh, what is it like 20 years ago you were a kid? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, a little longer than that. Uh, right. Three plus. So when, you, yeah, let's talk
1: about your your upbringing. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, and by, I want to preface it by saying I need everybody to know, all you guys to know, we're all a working process. So, uh, and that's me. Nobody ever gets to the place where you're a finished product. Always growing. So be encouraged wherever you are. Uh, just take the next step. But the quick story. It could be really long, but the quick story is I was born in 1954, and my father, I have an older brother who is nine years older than I am, and that age group, that age difference is really significant. You know, I'm, I'm zero, he's nine. When I'm nine, he's 18, and so it's just not a lot of connection there, but the pivotal event was that my father died when I was 11 months old. So I have no, literally no memory of him and just a few pictures and a very little bit about things that I learned from family members who knew him. So um, a lot of consequences to that. And you don't realize, and I literally did not realize the consequences to not having a father because I never knew anything different. So my normal, even though it was really abnormal, uh, it was my normal. And it would be twenty-five plus years before I began to understand personally what the consequence was of an absentee father. And of course, he didn't choose to die. And the truth of the matter is, and I need to preface something else again, Scott, because uh, this this may be a little bit sensitive for some guys. I had to come to a place of uh, being able to call the truth the truth with no malice anger with no resentment uh not criticizing not dissing my parents not blaming my parents because there is zero profitability in that but at the same time the truth is the truth and sometimes if we're living in non-truth it becomes a real burden so I didn't understand the consequences of not having a dad and Concurrently, my mother was ob- objectively, and every member of my family and everyone who knew her would tell you the same thing, so I'm not being a critic. But the objective truth was when well, my mom was just not equipped to be a parent at all. And why is that? She had her own bag of trips. Everybody came from somewhere, right? And she did, I believe with all of my heart, she did the very best she knew to do. But as I Learn more about her history. She was incredibly wounded as a child, and she literally never recovered from any of that. And so, when my father died, it was almost like you know the lid was closing almost to fully closed. And when my father died, it just closed, and she was emotionally absent for my entire life. And I I wish I could say there was some great and wonderful. I wanted it, uh, you know, kind of healing of all of that, but there never was because she was never to the day of her passing, she was never able to go there. So all of that just simply, man, no male influence in my life. This People are gonna think it's a sad story, and I guess it is, but it's the truth. There wasn't any male influence in my life until I was four. And I had no boundaries, zero boundaries. And I had no definition of who I was, my definition of who I was, for example, I'm looking at you guys, Josh and Scott here on this screen as we're recording. And I'm thinking, OK, I'll watch you two for a while. And however you behave and whatever you say and however you act or walk, or whatever, that's what I did. Because you were my role models. Didn't have any others. So that just goes on. And, you know, next year and the next, it's who, are, who are my classmates then? OK, that's who I'm role modeling. So no internally generated sense of self. Wasn't mean. I wasn't a fighter, but I just didn't have any boundaries whatsoever, and I was the kid that most teachers really did not want to have in their class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just the truth. Um, defining myself by imitating others and, you know, that absence of male influence. By the way, the first male influence was the youth director in our, our church, who, for reasons that... I could. am a. I'm a Christian, and for reasons that I could only say were the work of God that I didn't have a clue about. This guy took an interest in me, and I was an unlikely candidate for that. I wasn't a really regular church attender, and you know, I was not the star student. So, but for some reason, he picked me, and he became that initial influence. So, um, father gone, brother up and out of the house by the time I'm nine, because uh, he's nine years older than I am, and my mother just trying to survive day by day, and then my bag of tricks. But you fall into a rhythm, whatever it is, kids figure out some kind of a rhythm to fall into. So I fell into one of uh, trying to fit in and through junior high, really awkward, and finally seemed, and that's the key word, seemed to get myself together a little bit in high school. And Jan, of course, when she came into my life at age, I was 14, she was 15 the first stable influence and real relationship that I ever had with anybody. So kudos to her. 99% of the, re- of whatever it is that, uh, someone might say that's kind about me is, uh, a huge part of that is her. So thank God for my wife, but I'll say that to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man. And I, You know, the, being able to own that that is really liberating. And, uh, because it's that partnership. We've always said she is my best friend. Now, she's my lover and she's my confidant. And she's my she's my buddy and all of the things that you would say. But first and foremost, she's my best friend. And it is the safest trust relationship that I have on the planet. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And she you'll hear that she was a huge part of me figuring out what being a dad meant. So, uh, you know, I said something a moment ago and I'm going to just drop it in right here because it's on my heart. I recently came across, I I mentioned that my, of course, my father was physically absent and emotionally absent because he died. Right. But my mother was physically present, but emotionally absent. And there's a book that I came across recently that I I would suggest to uh, anybody. It's by uh, Tim. Olson, O L S O N, and the title of the book is The Legacy of Absence. And summarily, the book just talks about the reality of uh, if there is a uh, present but emotionally absent father, if there is a not present and emotionally absent father, or if there is a present and engaged father, or if there is a not present. An engaged father. For example, someone who may have gone through a divorce situation, but they're working hard to stay in their kids' lives. So, four categories there. And the book looks at some statistics and then some practical realities about what those things look like. And it just confirms what you guys are already mastering. And that is that the uh, consequence of an absentee father, emotionally or physically or both, is immense. Mm. The role of the father is huge. But that's, that's where we started. And uh, I'll go on just one step further and then stop so you guys can <laughs> ask questions. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Jane and I got married when I was 19 and she was 20. And we had our first uh, child, Aaron, came along when I was 22. So just kind of grooving along and we're loving each other and we're having fun and doing the best we know to do. and uh, You know, thinking we're doing pretty good. But I will tell you that as Aaron got to be about three or four, up functional, that's what I call it. Uh, So not functional, but uh, as he got to be three, four, five years old, something started happening inside of me. And that was the recognition of, wow, so I'm the father and I don't have a clue what that means, but he's looking to me and I have a responsibility, but I don't know how to do this and I don't have any role models to bounce it off of. So just... And that's probably overblown. I probably wasn't that aware of it at that moment in time, but it started.
1: I think a lot of men come to that point. I mean, no matter like even men probably who had really great fathers start to like think, oh, my gosh, do I know how to do this? And I can't even imagine the and and I hear it a lot from from the men in our group. um, But I can't imagine the brevity of that as you've had no male influence, really no male father figure in your life until 14. You said it was 14 when you met. Yeah. The same time you met your wife, right? Yeah. So you had two really pivotal people come into your life at 14. So what did you do at that moment? I mean, what, like, you got this big like, oh, no, I don't know how to do this.
0: Well, uh, I go back to Jan and, you know, she knew my story because we had talked about it. And she didn't really say too much about that, but she was a very wise person, probably not to say too much about it because I did not know what I did not know about what I missed. So I'm living in this thinking, okay, you know, well, most of all the rest of my friends have got dads and I see them around, they show up for the football games and this, that, and the other, and that's pretty cool. And I don't really get it, but I was actually told uh, by my mother as well as by a couple of great aunts, that you cannot miss what you never had. And I I absolutely bought into that. Because, I mean, these might be authority figures in my life and they loved me, they weren't being abusive. They were just, that was the best they could do to try to help me grow up. So they said, well, you can't miss what you didn't have and don't worry about it. And uh, I've come to realize that that is absolutely not true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> you absolutely can miss things that you didn't even know you were missing you can because I, you know god has built into us i believe that the whole family system i mean the role of the father is uh incredibly powerful and important so uh as aaron grew and as david came along and i'll give you this little i, I don't know if anybody else has experienced this i think some have but I got to, It was so much fun to have a son. And so I'm trying to learn how to change diapers. And I think in my entire life, I've changed three. So because Jan was a really attentive mom and all that kind of stuff. And she knew that I was clueless. So got to be transparent. Tell the truth. Change three. Um, but coming along with them again, deeper realization. And when David was born, it was a kind of tough on me. Because another layer of responsibility and sober, as if I wasn't responsible and sober about one son, and now there's two. So again, unsettled because I become just that much more acutely aware of what I don't know. And to what you said earlier, am I up to this? So um, yeah, and he, you know, I will tell you that uh, I'm, I'm talking to you like that. These things are all finished product. But even as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm feeling. You know, because those are things that you lived. And so Jan carried the ball early. uh, But there was this gnawing restlessness inside of me. And as the boys got a little older, you know, year by year, and they start into sports and they're going to school and they're dealing with Aaron was a absolutely great student and a lovable child. He was not a troublemaker, but he could not keep his mouth shut. He was just a talker. I mean, he was the talker. He was in trouble all the time being the talker. So guess what? I found myself dealing with school administrators about Aaron's behavior. And that starts a tidal wave of realization of, man, alive. Uh, All I really know is that I'm angry. Because I will tell you that my primary emotion at that stage in life was anger. I didn't even know why, but Jan would tell you that. She saw it early on. And part of that anger comes from things that you miss. I'll go back to just one little thing. One, one thing that I recognized later is that I was angry because since I didn't have any role models and since there was no male influence, I interpreted that as nobody cares. Yeah, I don't matter so do whatever you want to do because nobody cares anyway. Well, that actually creates anger because something in a child it says, somebody's supposed to be taking care of me here, you know, it's supposed to be some solid ground somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since you're not getting that, uh, you get angry. So I get anger and I get confusion and I'm trying to do my best and Trying to read some books and all of that kind of stuff, but just a disconnect at that point in time. Uh, let me say this, and then I'll, again, I promise I'll hush. Um, I made one decision, Scott. I told you about this on the telephone. One decision that was a game changer, and I didn't. I didn't have any wisdom. It wasn't a wisdom-based decision. It was a, okay, this is the best I know to do decision. That's it. And that was I started to think about what did I miss. I would see myself parenting Aaron and David on the ball field or in the house or at school or whatever, and I'd get a sense of well, this must have been what it would be like to have a father. I'm playing the role. Well, I am the father, and I'm but I'm looking through his eyes as he looks at me, and that that can be a pretty heavy thing when you realize your son. Really is, looking a hole boring a hole through you with his eyes. What are you doing, Dad? You know? Are you here? Can I count on you? All that kind of stuff. So the one decision was, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't have a bunch of answers because I didn't get any coaching on what it's like to be a man and you know, how do you identify yourself and how do you know who you are and how do you know whose you are? Because, you know, I'm again I'm a believer. How do you whose am I? Well, I believe I belong to the Lord, Um, but who am I and whose am I? The decision was simply this. Okay, it's painful and it scares me, but I'm going to show up. I'm just going to show up. If I know what to do, if I don't know what to do, if I know the answer, don't know the answer. If I have to go to Jan and ask her for help, I'm showing up for them because that's the one thing I know for sure I missed. So. That that turned out to be uh, a gift from God.
2: Yeah, that's that's the reason we started the brotherhood. Exactly what you just said because it was me going to Scott saying I'm completely lost. <laughs> I'm completely lost. I don't know how to do this. You know, my my dad was there. You know, he he didn't die. Or, um, you know, like your father did, but he but he wasn't there you know, and it, I mean, he's not a, he's not a bad dad. He's a good dad. He supported us and that's why he was gone. I mean, we just didn't, we were, you know, very poor. And um, so he would get home, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever it was from work, and then turn the TV on or whatever else. And there was just no real interaction. And I, it's funny cause we had a, a num- number of these interviews and number of these podcasts and, Scott and whoever is talking, and I'm like, I don't even understand what you guys are talking about right now because I didn't have that. You need to like tell me, like, when people say, like, the role of, of the father, you know, I'm like, I, I don't even know what that is besides making money, you know. And if you look at my life, that, that's it. It's like what I do until Scott has started speaking into my life and saying, like, what you just said, Rick, just show up, just be there for him. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, I can, I can start from
0: there. You know, that, that was a hard thing to do because, again, you miss so much, or I missed so much, that even just showing up and drying their tears or listening to hard questions or the inevitable conflict and the battle of the wills, and all of that kind of stuff, well, every one of those things was um, uncomfortable for me. There wasn't one of them that was comfortable. I will say, you know, if they did something good on the sports field, that was comfortable. Yeah, you know, I could cheer them on. That was easy to do. But uh, when they got in trouble, and they were crying, or they were hurt, or they'd been disciplined, and did I overdo it? Did I underdo it? You know, what's the what's the metric here? And you know, so Jan was a tremendous safeguard and help to me in all of those things. And why is the only thing that I can really express anger? What what's the deal? You know, now that doesn't mean that that. There wasn't laughter or there wasn't fun. It doesn't mean that. It just meant that the dominant, dominant emotion was anger. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories that I deeply regret about that anger, not with the kids, but with people that I thought were threats to my kids mm. and tremendously over-responded to those things because that's all I knew to do. But since I said I'm going to show up, then, brother, I'm stepping in the middle of it and this ain't going to happen kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I'm looking in a mirror man. I'm looking in a mirror. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to meet you cause I, I, I need this because I was, you know, even today I was walking and I was listening to a podcast and the guy was talking about how somebody cut him off and then, um, uh, or he cut somebody off and the guy followed him and, um, you know, the guy started yelling at him and he's like, you know, I'm immediately sought forgiveness. And I, you know, prayed for that guy that, um Because obviously he needs it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I would have put his head through his own car, you know yeah. and and yeah, it's like that anger I hear it because it's dominated my life for so long, and it's something only probably three years ago now that I really started
0: dealing with well and let me let me encourage all of us, and especially you, Josh, because uh I had to come to grips with the fact that, okay. And we all know this. So it's not a guilt trip. It's just, again, the truth. And in a book, uh, Leadership is an Art, a guy named Max Dupree says that the leader's first responsibility is to define reality. And facing reality for me was extremely painful. And I'll say a little bit of that. But uh, when I began to realize that whatever I was doing or not doing, Aaron and David were replicating, because they didn't they functionally didn't have any choice. I was the male role model. So just by time and presence, uh, it just gets built into a, a funny story. Uh, and it's a precious story to my heart. But when the boys were like six and or seven, six or seven and two or three, uh, we went to a church because we were involved in our church and We'd do some things with other churches when the guys were young. We'd all get up on the stage and sing together and all that kind of stuff. It was great, precious memories. But I remember one time we were in a church, and I had finished my part of my assignment in that worship service. And so I was sitting up on the platform on the uh, near the pulpit, and there was a guy preaching. And so I looked down out of the corner of my eye, and Jan and Aaron and David were sitting on the front row right in front of me, but off the platform. And so I just happened to notice I was sitting there with my right leg crossed over my left leg and kind of sitting back. And I had my Bible in my hand. and I'm sitting there like that. And I watched out of the corner of my eye, caught my attention for some reason. And Aaron was working hard to sit exactly like I was sitting. He was looking at me and then he'd move his leg and try to position it and lean back. And he had a handbook in his hand. And I watched that he was trying to imitate me. And brother, I'm telling you right there, uh, it was boom, brick to the forehead. They're watching everything. I am good, bad, or indifferent. I am the role model. Yeah. So what are they saying? Yeah. That's up. I love
1: that story. I've noticed similar moments. Um, and it's why when people say, what can they do? Like a, a big comment that I, or a question I get is how can I get my kids into wanting to exercise? And I'm like, just do it every day. Like make it a part of your life. Like no matter what you want them to do, they're going to do what you do. That's why they're saying do as I say, not as I do is an absolutely horrific piece of advice <laughs> because they're going to do as you do. We, ha- we leave such a massive impression on them through our own actions, and I- I want to kind of step back to this This is showing up is huge. And I I think um, the other thing that I was thinking about with anger for both of you is, you know, that's probably the emotion that men quite honestly experience the most. And um, usually for me, anger comes from confusion or a lack of knowing what to do. And I can't even imagine the brevity of that of not having any type of, you know, example growing up and, and looking into your life and going, you're, you, you're so angry because you don't know what to do. And I think it's really important to talk about that. I think most men are angry. I've seen it in conversations I've had with men on our group. They're like, they just repeat over and over again I don't know how to do it. My dad didn't. My dad was horrible. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I like, hey, man, the only thing you can do is improve on what you know he did, and do the things he didn't do that you want done, and it still went back to, I'm just mad. And I yeah. think men need to um, to embrace the truth. And I love that you said early on, the truth is the truth. It's not. I don't remember the words you said. It was very eloquent, but we have to to look at the truth, the reality of the situation. We don't have to apologize for it. We need to look at it. Uh, understand it and step forward and i i i think that that's like what did i miss what what do i want i think what would i have wanted as a kid is like a really great answer to like what do i do as a father what what, what do you desire most you desire to be loved um understood accepted no matter what mistakes you make and um
0: guided yeah do i matter i mean that's that's and you know you just triggered a thought i i I'll fast forward and then we can come back wherever you guys want to go. But uh it was age 30. So I can't remember what the boys but this all came to a head for me and it got it got pretty heavy because I just realized there was such internal dissonance. And Jan was helping. I was putting band-aids on things and trying to read and stuff, but it just uh I just needed some help. So uh For about two and a half years, I went to a counselor, To which, you know, I didn't want to do that. Uh, I was embarrassed, actually almost ashamed. And all all that did was feed the fact that I didn't have much self-respect or self-esteem or self-control anyway. You know, (laughs) it's like, okay, let's just take all the bad things and pour them on your head. But it turned out to be an incredibly important experience for me because I saw some things and learned some things and at least... Was able to clarify and come to some peace and let some of the anger go. You don't let a lifetime of anger go in a uh, split second. That's just not reality. But you can begin to let it go and begin to see, uh, okay, how to do it differently and begin to feel differently about yourself and start to develop that self esteem and self respect and that internal locus of control. Because remember, I said I didn't have any. Miami role models so there was everything was externally generated well at some point in time uh, we're pretty much need to figure out who we are and who we are going to be by choice and not by default right not by default to the circumstances but now I I'm not responsible for what my parents did I was there and maybe I was impacted by it but that's not a cause for judgment but the minute I become aware that I'm not responsible for what they did, then I also have to be aware that I am responsible for who I am today and who I will be tomorrow. Yeah. So all of that got really pretty heavy. And that time of, you know, being vulnerable, uh, which is not easy for men to do, to be truly vulnerable. And it's still not easy for me to do because tell you, I, I, I'm going random here. I apologize, but this, I, it's kind of all coming back to me now, so to speak, that one of the things that Jan and I did when the boys were young is part of this process is that probably for between the time that Aaron was seven, David three, all the way up through high school, uh, almost every night, I can't say every night, but almost every night, the day ended with the guys on our bed. And, you know, we're we're in bed. But we'd invite them or they'd knock on the door and come in and it just became a routine. And so the conversations started opening up and it was no holds barred. Ask anything you want to ask about any subject. What are your concerns? What are your problems? And, you know, honest and true. Uh, a lot of it was, Dad, why did you say that? Why did you do that? You know, Uh Or dad, you know, give me some advice and all that kind of stuff. So all of that is exposing, you know, some of those deficiencies. So actually, that's what led me to go for some additional wisdom and insight because you just feel beat up. You know, you're trying, but you just feel beat up because you don't really know. So but that turned out to be that vulnerability. Jan noted this to me last night when we were talking about this. She said, remember to tell them about all of the times that you had to walk up to Aaron or David and look them straight in the eye and said, I am sorry, please forgive me because I was wrong. And that's, that's getting down to the heart right there, brother.
1: Yeah. Two things. One, having that open communication, no judgmental, uh, Anything can go right now. Conversational setting or or um, expectation. If I mean things that happened in my family growing up, doing that had a massive amount of um, impact on why you know I am who I am today. And I, I I don't know if parents know that that's such an amazing thing to do because what's going to happen when your child comes up against something in middle school that they would normally be ashamed of and hide from their parents is going to be, they're going to come to you because it's always been safe to talk and ask whatever question you ask. So one, I think that's a really great uh, point and thing that men really should think about is like, you got you need to be that safe, comfortable place. Um, the other thing is, is the opposite. The opposite of anger is vulnerability. I, in my, I mean, you know, or maybe it's not quite the opposite, but it seems it's opposite. So we actually have to go a complete opposite direction of what we how we initially feel is anger when we're confused when we really actually need to become vulnerable and talk through that stuff and I, that seems like those two things were probably extremely pivotal in your journey to learn how to be a father a, a, an effective father
0: yeah they really were and not comfortable but you know by by the time well I'll I'll give you this little quick vignette a week and a half ago We were doing a family Zoom apart from my grandchildren. So it was David and Stephanie and Aaron and Kara and Jan and I. And I don't know how we got into it, honestly. But uh, we started talking about what do you remember, guys? Significant moments that you remember where I messed up. And we we qualified it that way where I messed up. Because they can talk about fun things and ball games and all that stuff all day long. But it was really uh, number 1 painful so it's on that but number 2 it was revealing because they mentioned the things that i honestly had forgotten and so it it just reminded me again especially now with respect to my grandchildren that they don't miss anything and they remember far more than we wish they would <laughs> honestly but but still it, because it was an because i was vulnerable that That's not a self-congratulatory thing. Being vulnerable is hard. But because I was vulnerable, they are very comfortable in calling out those things. So had I been the, the, you don't ask that question, it's not any of your business, you know, and you shut them down, then guess what? Uh, That's a form of being emotionally absent. And there are consequences to that. So, you know, you can deal with those consequences or you can just suck it up buttercup and let them know the truth. Here it is. You know, I messed up and I didn't know and I was wrong or yeah, y'all are laughing about this and I'm cringing on the inside and I wish I didn't have to listen to it, but I'm going to let you say it because it's the truth.
1: Yeah. I think on the other end of that, because it is, it is hard to go through that, but there's freedom. So I've had to work really hard at, and I am, very intentional about if I've done something in the past and it comes up or we think about it or it comes, you know, just, I remember, remember about it. That was a mistake, any type of mistake or failure or error. I'll try and walk my boys through it. But more difficult is today. If I was rude, if I was short or I responded in a way, or I hurt somebody's feelings is turning around. As soon as I get my head together and asking for forgiveness, walking up to my son, sitting him down and saying, what I did was wrong. and I want you to forgive me. And then that opens the doors to talking about how we handle situations. And it's, I I practice this a lot. There's freedom in it because I don't have, tomorrow I don't think, man, I I was a horrible father. I think, thank goodness I turned that around and used it as a teachable moment, as a parent, as, you know, where he can say, my dad taught me, he made mistakes, but he taught me through it instead of he was a jerk. I mean, there's it's a huge gap. <laughs> it's a huge difference between that. And so I want to say that there's so much freedom. It's painful. It's hard to get as a, as a habit, but there's a ton of freedom in it that they don't live, you don't live in regret. I don't live in regret. I, I regret some of the things I do, but if I can reduce the pain or friction that they go through in their future by walking them through that, then I feel like I've come out on top. But I have to have that conversation way more than I want. Because I I mess up as a father every single day.
0: Yeah. And the doing of that, uh, Scott, is, you know, it's obvious, but let me state the obvious. You are teaching them the freedom of vulnerability so that they don't have to walk around hiding things and masking things and, you know, just trying to be this pseudo macho man that's got it all in control when they know they don't. So right the vulnerability is and that's not weakness that is not in fact i think it's one of the greatest forms of strength is to be vulnerable um because you set your kids free from a perceived you know dad's got it all together he's perfect he's immovable and you know i could never be like that well set them free from that let them know that you're flesh and blood like everybody else it's a daily
1: journey it's a daily battle um yeah and and especially since they're home all the time now for the last what five four or five months, it's a lot of extra opportunities to mess up <laughs> it, it, yeah, face to face so your your boys are now fully grown, and um when when you kind of kind of thought of that, what did I miss, what do I need you know, and kind of took that on is that's how I'm a father, um, was that a real like an action that happened like overnight, or did it take practice? When do you feel like you kind of started to figure it out? And you said you're still learning. So I know we never really figure it out.
0: Well, I started to figure it out probably, you know, calendar wise, 32, 33. I think I finally started to feel that there was a ground underneath my feet I could stand on and be dealing with anger and be dealing with. Uh, learning things I never knew. You know, it's hard to teach your kids things that you never knew. Uh, And we've said that, but it's just, it's harder than I thought it would be. Uh, And then when you see their emotions and all of that kind of stuff, learning how to process their emotions, which drives you to have to process your own emotions. And these things we're uh, talking about, but certainly 32, 33 Uh, In that process of really searching it out and taking it real, real seriously, understanding. And I honestly, I felt, you know, why did I wait so long? And there's a little bit of guilt of, you know, I'm 22 when he's born. And um, so I'm thinking about roughly uh, nine years of Aaron and David where I wasn't, I was there and I was there. I was there physically and I was there emotionally as best as I knew how to be. But you realize, man, I sure wish I'd. Had a clue, you know, sooner than that. So, come to grips with that. It is what it is, and you know, in our world, I recognized really clearly, and it's a really important statement to me that that youth director at our church who took an interest in me. I mean, literally, that was the hand of God protecting me in ways that I didn't have a clue about. So he was at work. There was a bigger hand than mine at work, and certainly Jan's hand at work, and. Um, but I would say that probably around age 40 is when I felt like, because I, I recognized we had created an environment where the boys were comfortable is not the right word. Okay. Because they're guys and they're growing and they're late teens or early twenties or whatever. And they're, you know, they're men. Um, so they, there's always that for any man that's like, Oh man, I don't want to disappoint dad or, what's dad going to say about this kind of stuff. But we'd created an environment where they would do it anyway, you know, and we would be the first people they would come to, especially in tough times or challenges or threats or upset or whatever it was. And when I, there was a moment, not a single moment, there was a season in there somewhere around age 40 where I realized, thank God, it was worth it. Thank God it was worth it, you know, it was worth it to deal with me so that I can have a opportunity to help them be who God created them to be and avoid some of the pain and the stuff that I went through. You know? right. And that's honestly, that's that's part of the Father's role. We're, we're supposed to provide self-esteem and self-respect and a sense of who they are and a sense of you're safe. That's my job, rather than just being a body, you know, that sits in the room. You mentioned it earlier, watching, you know, TV, uh, disengaged. Man, this this is work, and it is twenty four seven work. And even yesterday morning, before we left uh, Nashville, had a really sober conversation with my younger son David. He's in business, and you know, this is a tough season for people in business. So these he's Like a lot of people in business, he feels very vulnerable, but fully responsible. So, you know, I'm so grateful to God that I get to participate in those conversations, but that would have never happened had I just left it at business as usual or just tried to blow it off and say, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, they'll be fine. No, it matters. And you don't, the the problem that I recognized is you're not going to see the fruit of this stuff until way down the road that's you'll see some indicators but you're not going to really see what you got until down the road so if you want if you want it to be different 5 10 15 years from now than it is right now today's the day start
1: yeah I think that's a really important point because we can get so wound up and tied up into the behavior and actions and at things that are occurring today that we you know, throw our hands up like oh, what I'm not doing any good. I think a lot of parents fall into that, like, and, and almost probably become more absent as time goes by because they don't see immediate results, but nothing
0: worth doing
1: usually has immediate results
0: on well, the complexity of this culture, guys. I mean, heaven's a book. When I, for me, I'm six years old in 1960. Well, that is a different culture. And I watch now through my grandkids what skill Aaron has to have, and what learning he's got to go do to understand how to raise kids in this generation. Uh, Relatively speaking, mine was pretty simple. You know, Uh, it's not that simple anymore. So, uh, but it's not. It's not over. It does not have to be overwhelming. It's just a matter of the decision that I'm going to be in it, and if it's technology or if it's you know, the stressors of our nation right now and the hard questions that have got to be asked, then I'm going to be in it. Yep. And if I don't know, then I'll go find an answer, you know, but I'm not going to default to go figure it out or you're on your own. I'm not defaulting to that.
2: Gosh, yep. That was, it <laughs> hits me because that was our default. Everything. And uh, the a, a story is like changing tires hits me so hard because. Um, the way that I was taught to change a tire was, Hey, the car has a flat, go out there and change the tire. And I was like, Well, come show me. And he was like, Nope, get out there, don't come back in the house until you figure it out. And that was how I was taught everything. <laughs> and, um, sure, I'm extremely self reliant <laughs> now, but, uh, but I hear you. And now I'm, the, but it, it does hit me because I'm like, Yep, you know, everything was solely. Like I'm trying to walk him through it. I'm trying to teach instead of, of, Hey, no, just go figure that out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And You know, for, for us, just that was kind of impossible to do because we didn't have a clue. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was out there for hours, hours and hours and hours. And there was no YouTube how-to videos. I mean, it took me, yeah. A long, long time. But I mean, goodness, I, I can't even tell you everything that was like that. And there's no reason for us, to, for me to like start ragging on my dad, you know, for any reason whatsoever. And, and, and uh, uh, to his credit, he has apologized a lot for all of that now. You know, he, uh, it, it's even become a joke. We've talked about it on the podcast before where he's like, where he's like, oh, my gosh, he's just like, I just screwed up with you guys. And and now, like, he very much is way more supportive and is trying to teach us lessons and everything else. So um, he's recognized it as well.
0: You know, t- uh, Again, another little quick illustration. And this happens at least once a year, sometimes more. But the six of us adults will get together for dinner somewhere and once a, a year or so. Uh, the conversation will come up where both of the boys decide to start telling stories about me. So the first time that it happened, I am so incredibly uncomfortable because their wives are there and it's just like, I'm about to be exposed. So, you know, I mean, me and them, that's one thing, but me and their wives, that's yeah. Am I ready for that? But I got to tell you, and the stories are funny and they're absolutely true. So I have, it's a strange thing. It's a strange feeling. I can't describe it, but I can tell you that the end result is when those conversations are over and we have laughed hard, and I have grimaced, mm-hmm. and sometimes my daughter in laws have looked at me like, "Really?" You know, <laughs> uh, and sometimes I have to apologize to my daughters in law because I will say that whatever one of them, whatever one of the guys just said or did, I'm responsible for that. You know, I taught them that, <laughs> so please forgive me. Uh, <laughs> but I'm. The point I'm trying to make is I'm telling you, it means more to me than life mm. that we have that kind of relationship. Yeah. It is precious to me yeah. that they can just say it and laugh and I can laugh, but it's in context. It's not judgment. Right. It's not respect. It's not any, it's not minimizing me. It's not, uh, it's truth. And man, The truth will set you free, but it will probably give you a lot of pain and stress before it does.
1: For sure. I want to I want to use that and your your story about or about when the boys were growing up, they would come into your bedroom at night. um, And you shared something with me that I think every man needs to hear and um, something I'm going to talk to my dad about. And because I just think it's incredibly powerful powerful. You said that you guys, you and your sons get together every single year and you ask three questions and each of you asks each other. So I want you to share that with us and talk us through that a little bit.
0: Well, you know, we're all from Dallas, Texas. And, uh, so of course we're for good or bad, we're Dallas Cowboy fans. Right on. <laughs> so am I. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Everybody in on the call is <laughs> you're in good company.
0: So for mm, more than 20 years now, Every year, uh, Aaron and David and I take a weekend and we'll pick an away game for the Cowboys and we'll go somewhere to the away game and we'll go in on Friday and uh, have dinner on Friday night and then hang around, and kick around and look around on Saturday and then go to the game on Sunday. And B, we didn't make it just a fun thing. We wanted it to be something substantive. So, um, Typically on the Saturday, it just depends on what the schedule is, but typically on the Saturday, lunchtime will be a long conversation and it's been as long as five hours. And uh, I set the questions because I'm the dad and so I, and they know what the questions are going to be and so they're thinking about them before. But the questions, and we all have to answer and we all pledge to be absolutely honest. And the questions are, how is your heart, how is your home, and how's your health? Just three simple questions. And in asking those questions, an awful lot of stuff comes because the heart, you know, I mean, it's about relationships with spouses or the kids and business and um, how's your home, what's going on there, what are the stressors, what? How much time are you are you carving out time for each other, et and then, of course, your health. And the reason for health is I had a massive heart attack in 2003, and I was 43 years old, So, and my dad died at 41 of his third heart attack. So uh, I'm really attentive to the boys taking care of them. I call them the boys. The men taking care of themselves from a physical standpoint because it matters, you know. Uh, so it is precious beyond words. Truth is most of the time there's tears and emotion, but there's transparency and there is a bonding that, uh, nothing we've ever done in our lives together is in the same category as that a lot of other things are really good and they're as good, but they're different. But this is a very unique experience. And I, and I, I don't know about them, but I treasure it deeply. Uh, look in, I mean, look in their eyes and their hearts, quiet, away from distractions, man to man. And I learn from them. Golly, I learn from them. They are both smarter than I will ever hope to be. And I'm so proud of them. But I learn from them. I, so, and that's something. You don't have to wait till they were like 19, 20 years old. You can start that early on. And I would say the earlier, the better. Yeah.
1: I've thought about those three questions a lot since we talked a couple of weeks ago. And um, recent, my dad and I connect, we try to connect every week. He lives in Oregon, I'm in Texas. And um, sometimes he doesn't know what to talk about. I can tell. And same here. It's like, you know, we want to share what's going on. It's all super selfish or it's all about the kids. But I, I'm thinking about these questions going, that could take conversation to a whole new level really fast. And I think, um being intentional about having those questions, I, I just I can't wait to do this with my boys, and you just made a point. I don't need to wait,
0: yeah,
1: so I think those are those are really quite extraordinary. So, how's your heart? How is your home, and how is your head? When you see your 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 boys and their families right now and you see the way that they're interacting with their kids and the things that they're doing, what is your measure? Like you look at it, you're like, that is success. Cause I know you feel that about them. Like when you see them as a parent, what kind of things are you thinking? I'm so proud that they're doing X or what are they doing? What do you, what do you focus in on?
0: Well, um, they both have really good judgment and I'm so grateful to God for that. And there are very few things that I am comfortable taking credit for because there's just too many factors that bigger factors uh, that go into it. And certainly my wife and the Lord are a big part of that and their wives are a huge part of that as well. But so I'll say when I watch David dealing with his business, how he treats his employees and the things that he values, a, a clear set of values, he knows who he is and he knows whose he is. And so that as the foundation, um, you know, it doesn't mean he makes every right decision and they, you know, business is business and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But it is, it's the approach, it's the, the heart engagement, the vulnerability, the openness that I see in him to call it what it is. He is unafraid to say the things that we've talked about here, I missed it. I screwed up. It was a bad decision. Here's what it cost us. Here's what I've got to do to fix it. So all uh, of those things, but it's not just about business. That's actually who he is on the inside. And I think that's the point I want to make. What we do externally is nothing more than the representation of what's going on internally. And so I'm grateful. I'm so impressed that they're, they're substantive. You know, they're not living on the surface of their lives. They're willing to look at themselves critically and be tough on themselves. And when I look at Aaron with the kids, I mean, it's um, Aaron's tough. He, I mean, he is a leader. They're both leaders in their own right. And Aaron is a, they're both very strong personalities and confident personalities. But he, I see him bring. I'm a grandfather, so there are times when every grandfather is going to think that his uh, son is being a little too rough on the grandkids. (laughs) That's just part of the deal, guys. It happens, whether you want it to or not, because you love those grandkids, you know? And so there are times when he may be just a little bit more stern than I think he should be, but it never goes down a track of that's, that's the steady diet. If it's stern, it's stern, and it's over with, and he goes. But he doesn't let the corrective or the even the discipline part of the thing. He doesn't let that linger. It's this is it. This is the consequence. Boom, and we move through it, and everything is right back to normal. So there's no holding of grudges or offense or things like that. He's strong, but he is equally as tender, and I. When I watch him with my grandchildren, I really get a picture of what it's like to parent well. I'm watching a story that I didn't get to see. I had to participate in, you know, with my boys, but now I'm actually getting to watch how it plays out and how it plays out in a healthy way. They're not perfect, you know, and neither am I. And nobody's parents are perfect, and no kid will ever have a perfect parent. But I'm so grateful to see the emotional maturity and the vulnerability coupled with the strength in their lives. It's just, again, it's a gift. I'm not that smart. So it's the gift of God, but uh, every seed you plant now is going to show up somewhere. So just keep planting. And if you mess it up own it and press on, it does. I've, I learned with my boys that it didn't diminish their respect for me when I told them I was wrong. In fact, if it did anything, it built trust and advanced respect. Yeah.
1: The other end of that vulnerability is is trust and respect. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Rick. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It doesn't matter. They're all over the place. And do us a favor. Leave us a, a five-star review or no review. <laughs> if you want to know more about Brotherhood of Fatherhood, I uh, want to continue to get amazing content and and um, tips from men all over the world. Follow us on Facebook. Our- group is the brotherhood of fatherhood. And if you are a woman and you're listening to this and you want to influence a man in your life, follow our page brotherhood of fatherhood and strategically drip that into your husband's life somehow. So thank you.